Welcome, dumbheads, to MDC, the Mega Dumbcast. In this series, we're examining every single goddamn page of Alien Hunger, a quick start adventure for Vampire the Masquerade, to determine what is the dumbest thing on that page. Every episode is one page, every episode is short. If you'd like to play along at home, this is 1991's Alien Hunger, the official PDF release from White Wolf. Tonight, as we discuss page 17 of Alien Hunger, I invite you to a very artistic, very goth, hella punk game of vampire colon the taboo. Not the taboo in an exciting way or a sexy way. That'll have to wait for Ghoul Fatal Addiction. That's the big white wolf book for dealing with taboo in the sexy sense. That book is fucking wall to wall leather. On the back, it's like Ghoul Fatal Addiction. And then underneath, Did you know that there's such a thing as bondage? And then inside, it's just like 50% people sucking blood from other people's nipples. We're not here for that shit. We're here for vampire colon the taboo, as in the party game taboo, where you draw a card and there's a thing on the card, and then you have to convey the thing to another player without saying certain related words, the key words you would normally use to explain or identify the thing you're talking about. So on the card, it'll be like John Wayne, and then underneath it'll say, cowboy, pilgrim, a western, racist, blacklisting piece of shit. Hyphenated, obviously. The main individual words you would think of in connection with John Wayne, and you're not allowed to say those and you have to convey what who John Wayne is. So for example, you could think of a thing he actually said and say it in his voice like, I believe in white supremacy until the blacks are educated to the point of responsibility. Pilgrim. You said pilgrim, you're out. Anyway, that's taboo. This page of Alien Hunger, page 17, is about playing The author's vision of vampire, vampire the taboo, in which you can't tell the players what they're supposed to do or what's going on. You just have to convey it non-verbally through a couple of primary tools. Number one, over-the-top emotional manipulation. Number two, sound effects. Before we get into the details, let me catch you up on where we are, because it's been a couple days. So when last we left our protagonists, only two of whom we've actually met so far, as well as uh, Sir Bloodworth, a mysterious vampire assailant had attacked them all in various places over the course of one night, and in most cases, simply looked into their eyes, commanded them to sleep, and then abducted them. Or in the case of Emerson Wilkershire III, gotten his attention, slapped the absolute taste out of his mouth, and then commanded him to sleep and dragged him away. Then this mysterious vampire assailant wiped all their memories, so it's like that never happened, except for you know perhaps a vague recollection of a dangerous bearded man, and in Emerson's case, a giant comical red handprint across the right side of his face. So the players experienced all that, but the characters don't know anything about it. As far as the characters know, this adventure begins in scene two, which actually began on yesterday's page, though we didn't cover it there, when we get the following fiction piece, quote, it was dark. It took Monica Bellhurst a moment to realize she wasn't asleep in her bed. It was dark. Repetition. It's extremely artistic. Extremely artistic. Quote, it was cold too. Hello? She said her voice seeming weak but eerily loud at the same time. Is anyone there? A scraping sound was followed by a flare of light, intensely bright in the darkness. A male voice queried from behind the hand. No, but we've got to see. I'll light another one. The speaker's voice was vaguely familiar to Monica. She'd have it in a minute. A co-worker? The light was not as unexpected this time, and by the light of the match, Monica could see that there were six of them in the room, including her husband, Vincent. As she looked around, though, She felt a chill at the sight of the brick walls and concrete floor. They were no place she had ever seen before. 
So this is Monica Bellhurst. She's a good friend of Emerson Wilkershire III. Uh, also, right next to him on the People We Don't Like in 2023 bingo card, he being a privileged, rich asshole, and she being an ambitious, politically-minded DA, bringing us to a full three-fifths of a bingo, is her husband, Vincent, who is a police officer. So immediately, our hip, young, sexy vampire protagonists are off to a great start in terms of their goth-punk cred. What could be more punk than a second-generation banker, a cop, and a district attorney? But these aren't the only people in the basement. As you heard, Monica saw that there were six people here. That would be Emerson, Vincent, Monica herself, uh, Marcus Smith Kearns, who we met last time, who is uh, just without getting into his whole backstory, which we'll talk about later, basically like the squirrely gamer of the group. He runs an anime figurine import business. He probably wears like an army surplus jacket. This is a guy who played a lot of Battletech. This is a guy who spent the early 90s forcing women who barely tolerated him to watch Akira. So that's Marcus. Also here are Mavis and Susie Jackson. Mavis is a woman. Susie is her young daughter. And that makes six, right? Monica, Emerson, Marcus, Vincent, Mavis, Susie. In fact, though, all of the player characters are going to be here. And in fact, we'll have occasion to talk about the rest of them here in a minute. But for now, we've set the scene. All the player characters, plus Mavis, the young Susie, and Monica's husband, Vincent, they've all woken up in this basement, and they don't know what's going on or how they got here. Now, Monica and the other player characters, they have been turned into vampires while they were unconscious. But they don't know that yet nor do the players playing them, because this is not some modern bullshit indie game where you tell the players what's going on and they act accordingly. This is Vampire colon the Taboo, where things have to be shown, not told, where you can't say the word vampire. Everyone at the table will make a buzzer noise at you. You can't handle that. You're too sensitive. So if you can't say it as a storyteller, you've got to instill it. Quote, now is the time to begin to instill in the players that sense of loss, which is the hallmark of the vampire story. Describe the basement as dark, stuffy, and warm. If they have cigarette lighters or matches, let them see that the walls are of brick and mortar. When the first light is made, though, all the vampires with aspects will suffer a quick dazzle as their heightened senses overload. Describe it as daggers of light stabbing into their eyes. Okay, fair enough. So far, so good. I'm personally not a huge fan of using language like daggers of light stab into your eyes at the table. I feel like it's a little bit pretentious, a little bit overwrought, but... You know, if that's not who we were, we wouldn't be here, playing vampire. Emphasize their coldness and hunger. Take pains to describe the humans in the basement at length, and use terms one normally reserves for food, appetizing, luscious, and the like. Mention that even in this situation, Mavis looks good enough to eat. Now this is vampire colon the taboo. This is some subtle psychological manipulation that you can use. You don't need to say vampire. You don't need to say bloodlust. You just say, you awaken in a dark basement. Your husband lights a match, and its light stabs into your eyes, like daggers of light. Then, as your eyes adjust to the daggers, you see beside you a pretty woman named Mavis. You can't help but think, she looks good enough to eat. It's something about her, her chocolate-colored skin, her smoky eyes, redolent of hickory, the way her eyes glisten white in the match light with a sweet softness, an ineffable graham crackeriness of her carriage. Remember that you're not allowed to say that Mavis is a s'more, but you can instill that feeling through careful verbiage. Also, you can keep reminding the characters without ever saying dead or death or vampire or blood. You can just keep reminding them little things that suggest vampire. Quote, take every opportunity to contrast their old life with their new state. For example, quote, 
They might have breath mints or gum in their pockets, but they have no urge to eat or chew. It's a little-known fact. Vampires cannot tolerate the touch of a breath mint. Thus, the traditional vampire slayer method of decapitating the vampire and then burying its head separately with a full roll of certs in its mouth. You can also use them to identify vampires. Did you know that when a vampire chews a mint lifesaver in the dark, it doesn't spark because the vampire has no soul? But I can't give any more time to my inexhaustible supply of breath mint material because our protagonists stuck in this basement are going to want to talk amongst themselves about how they got here, what's happening, how they're going to get out of this basement. And the storyteller should encourage that so that the storyteller can use the conversation as a vehicle to further instill loss, horror, etc., etc. Quote, while they talk, use sound effects and throw in random distractions to emphasize their changes. Making heartbeat noises quietly in the background while they talk is a good way to start. So while the players and the player characters are talking, like, what the fuck is going on? I'm looking around, I'm looking at the walls. Hey, do you know anything about this? Ba-bum, ba-bum. And then, inevitably, the players are going to be like, hey, what the fuck are you doing? And the storyteller's like, nothing. But remember that sound effects are only part of this. Contrived emotional manipulation is the other half of the equation. Quote, find an excuse for one of them to brush up against one of the humans and tell him the heat coming off the humans is maddening. You see, because vampires are cold, humans are hot comparatively. Not sexy hot, like temperature hot. So what you've got to do as a storyteller is contrive for one of the player characters to bump into or brush against one of the humans, or vice versa. And then the vampire's like, ooh, that heat. But you know what? On second thought, that would be a little bit subtle. The player might not get it. So let's take it a step further. Quote, the humans are all genuinely nice people. So when the vampires brush against them with their cold flesh, they will offer their coats to help warm them up. Remember that the mortals are ignorant of the character's plight. So have them take pains to touch the vampires often for reassurance in their dark prison. So this is not just like regular taboo. This is like, late in the round, like, hourglass is about to run out taboo, where you're, like, doing every gesture and word as hard as you can trying to get the idea across. It's like, you bump into one of the humans. They're, they're extremely warm. They're very, you're extremely cold. They're extremely warm. They're very hot. It's like there's something hot inside them that you want a lot. And then, in this extremely tense situation, you've all woken up with no idea how you got here in a mysterious basement, which is pitch black. You're strangers. Nonetheless, this woman you've never met, Mavis, comes up to you, and she's so extremely hot, like some kind of a marshmallow-based item you would make on a camping trip. And when she touches your cold, cold skin, cold like a, can't say fucking dead, can't say corpse, if you're, like, you're cold like a stone in a mausoleum in a yard for people who aren't walking around anymore. And when Mavis notices that you're so, so fucking cold. For some reason, she says, excuse me, stranger in a dark basement. Would you like my coat? Here, take my, here, let me just put this around you. I feel so reassured, running my hands all over your chest, my warm, vibrant, living, meaty, mm, as as she rubs her hands all over your chest for comfort, you can almost, almost feel what a fucking umami bomb of vibrant mortality she would be in a scenario where, for some reason, you had your mouth on her in some capacity. Get it? Which is, like, already a silly thing to do to try to convey this feel. But then when you think about the literal situation, you've got this, you've got this, this young woman with no clue where she is, clearly in danger for her life, captive, 
worried about whether the other strangers in the basement are too chilly, and practically feeling them up for emotional support. If nothing else, this is just a real fucking bad night to turn into a vampire. I mean, of all the nights of my life when I've been stressed out and I wish that a pretty strange woman would show up and feel me up for no reason, to have it happen tonight, of all nights, when I turned into a fucking vampire, what are the odds? So far, this is just silliness, right? This is just a little bit of hokey, early 90s horror role-playing advice. But the rules of vampire colon the taboo become destructive in scene three, escape. Scene three is when we deal with the player characters who've now had a conversation, felt each other up, traded coats, etc., etc. Now they're looking for a way out of the basement. When the player characters go to look for a way out, they're going to find there's a flight of stairs, there's a trap door at the top. That's the only obvious way out of the basement. But if anyone touches that trap door, they'll be able to tell it's really hot. There's obviously a lot of heat on the other side of the trap door. Quote, the heat is so extreme that they should roll stamina against a target of four or lose one body level just from touching the door. So it's a trap door. And if you so much as touch it, you may lose a health level, like one of your seven health levels, just from like the searing heat of touching it. So it's a difficult situation. On the one hand, it's pretty obvious. There's a fire or something on the other side of that door. On the other hand, there's only one exit here. And between heat, smoke, fire, whoever kidnapped you, whatever they're trying to do to you, things could get real bad. So do you really want to just huddle in this basement? Perhaps you don't. Perhaps you think, now's better than later. Let's get the fuck out of here. Well, as it turns out, what's above this trapdoor is a burning building. And quote, if they, the player characters, choose to brave the inferno, the humans will all perish almost instantly. And the vampires must roll wits plus athletics against a target of eight each round until they accumulate six successes, at which point they have escaped. Each round they remain in the conflagration, and they must remain at least one. They take fire damage. Roll stamina plus fortitude against a target of eight, but only if they have fortitude. That's a vampire discipline of, like, supernatural toughness. Normally, vampires don't have any resistance to fire, but fortitude gives them a little bit. Quote, they take two body levels, minus one for each success on the resistance roll. And then it goes on to say if they escape the inferno, then blah, 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 this is the next thing that happens in the story. Uh, which is, I guess, nice to have there for completeness sake, but nobody's making it out of this fucking house fire. And that's the dumbest thing in this page. We've got a whole set of rules here, like round after round, turn after turn, health level after health level of what's going to happen to player characters who attempt to run out of the house through this fire, which would be, I mean, granted, running into and through a fire is never the smartest idea, but when you're in a basement under a burning building where you were put by an unknown kidnapper, you know, maybe it's the best option you can think of as the fire continues to grow, especially given that you've got new players here who uh, may not know what they're capable of as vampires, which, of course, like on a meta level, they know they now are. What they probably don't know is that it is virtually mechanically impossible for any player character who goes into this fire to survive. Uh, of the five pregens included with this adventure, only two of them are likely to survive running through this fire, even if they spend willpower points as fast as they can. Like, one every turn, exactly where you need to spend it, just making sure, sure, sure that you get as many successes on everything as you possibly can. Even then, only two of the five pregens have better than even odds of making it out of this fire at all. And even if they succeed, it's practically impossible that they would get out with fewer than four health levels of damage. Probably they're going to take six of their seven health levels of damage. And that's going to be aggravated damage, which in this game means it's not going to heal for nights and nights. Like it heals at a rate, I think, a maximum rate of one per night. So that's six nights of being horribly burned, which is going to make the rest of the adventure 
difficult to impossible. None of this is taking into account wound penalties, by the way, which will stack up as the characters get burned, which will reduce their rolls to try to get through the fire, unless they frenzy, which is what vampires would typically do when confronted with this much fire. And if they frenzy, it's going to make them attempt to run out of the fire, which would maybe be a real good thing on the first turn that you went to the fire, but maybe not such a good thing on like turn two while you're trying to find your way through the fire. You may end up turning back and running back where you know safety is and getting burned worse and worse and ending up back in the fucking basement. This is scene three, only the second scene where the players have actually been able to really do anything, because in the first scene, they're just like jumped by a mysterious assailant and hypnotized to sleep, right? This is only the second scene where the players have actually been able to control their characters. And already you have an absolute death trap of a challenge that is definitely lethal, definitely a threat by something that is anathema to vampires. Like fire will make vampires freak the fuck out because it can kill them very easily. But you don't tell the players that because that would give away the game, right? I mean, what are we going to do at this early stage? Let them know that vampire is a game about vampires? Of course not. In classic D&D Dungeon Master fashion, we just say, when you open the door, you see a raging fire. And they're like, could we run through the fire and get out of here? And you're like, you can certainly try. And then do your best to suppress your cruel laughter, knowing that anyone who does try is going to have their character die in like the second scene of the game. What makes it extra dumb is that, as I mentioned, vampires have a strong instinctive aversion to fire. So you've just gone through this whole process of like, you're trying to have a conversation, but you can't concentrate because of the heartbeat. Ba-bum, 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 ba-bum. You know, Mavis touches your cold skin and tries to put a coat on you. And when she puts her coat on you and her hands touch you, there, there's something about the feeling of warm, blood-filled human hands putting a coat on you that drives you crazy. You're doing everything to accentuate the character's vampire nature indirectly. But then when they open a trap door and see a literal inferno above them, instead of saying, Something in you recoils at the thought of running into this fire. You just sit there, stony-faced, and wait impassively for them to tell you whether they are going to look for some other way out of the situation or attempt to escape in the manner you've presented to them, in which case they will die on the spot. It would be the easiest thing in the world just to say, like, you know how much you normally don't want to run into fires? Even more, twice as much, do you not want to run into this fire now? That would be a real good clue that the characters were vampires, which is what we're trying to convey subtly here. It would keep all your player characters from dying in the first session of what is meant to be an entire campaign. Or you could just tell them, hey, look, if you try to run through this fire, you're going to die and I'm going to have to buy another adventure book. And <laughs> I don't want that. But that would be against the rules of vampire colon the taboo. You're not allowed to tell them what's going on or what they're supposed to do. You just have to convey it with sound effects. I, in fact, maybe that's the way to do it is when they tell you, hey, uh, can we maybe get through this fire? Does it look like we can maybe run through? You can't say no, but you could just not answer verbally. And you could go like, <laughs> sound of rafters breaking. Squeeze, 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 squeeze. What's that? It sounds like there could be rats dying upstairs. Like rats that happen to be here dying upstairs in the fire. It sounds like maybe they tried to run through the fire, but their wits plus athletics wasn't good enough and they didn't have any fortitude and they died in the flames. And then hope they get the hint because you're just not allowed to tell them, guys, <laughs> don't run into fire. Show, don't tell. Never tell. Show them. Show them to death. But if you are skilled and or lucky at playing Vampire Colon the Taboo, as a storyteller, you will prevail in this scene and all of the player characters won't die. Join me next time to find out how our protagonists escape from the basement and what the storyteller must then do to turn the level of silly sound effects and therefore pathos even higher on MDC 
the Mega Dumbcast. This has been Mega Dumbcast. New episodes drop every day except for Sundays, when all the previous week's episodes drop in one big megasode on the patrons-only RSS feed. If you'd like to get access to that feed and support the show, go to patreon.com slash megadumbcast. Social media was never healthy and is now dying, so if you want to contact me, you can email me. I am megadumbcast at gmail.com. This season's theme song is Suck City by Black Math, whose work you can find at freemusicarchive.org slash music slash black underscore math. Dumbheads, I will catch you next time. <laughs>